Section 2 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 2. The Story of Captain Bird or the first capital conviction under the constitution of the united states by seba smith sell o cried young walter jordan from the masthead of the fishing schooner betsy as she was ploughing her way before a strong east wind across casco bay in the then province of maine and heading for falmouth now portland harbor where away called out skipper jordan who was standing at the helm and watching the boys as they were preparing to take a reef in the main cell. Three points on our weather quarter, said Walter. I see her, said the skipper. Come down and hand me the spyglass. Walter hastened down and brought the spyglass to his father. Steady the helm, said the skipper, as he took the glass and elevated it toward the distant vessel. She's a stranger, he added after taking a brief look through the glass. And by them colors she's got flying there, I guess she wants somebody to pilot her in. Come bear a hand. Get a double reef in that mainsail before the wind tears it all to pieces. And we must try to hold on a little, too, and let the vessel come up. The boys soon had the mainsail under close reef, and the little Betsy was yawing off and coming to, and tilting over the waves like a lone duck that waits for its companions to come up. The strange vessel was nearing them quite fast. She proved to be a schooner of about thirty tons burden, and coming down under as much sail as she could possibly bear, she was soon alongside the Betsy. When she had come up within speaking distance, Skipper Jordan hailed her. "'What schooner is that?' shouted the captain of the fishermen. "'The schooner Rover, Captain Bird,' was the hoarse, loud reply. "'Where are you from?' "'From the coast of Africa.' "'Where are you bound?' "'To the nearest American port,' said Captain Bird, "'who had now approached near enough for easy conversation. "'Any port in a storm, you know,' continued the commander of the rover, "'and I think we have a storm pretty close at hand. "'What port are you bound to, Captain?' "'I'm bound into Falmouth,' said Captain Jordan, "'which is the nearest port there is, "'and it isn't more than ten miles into the harbor.' If you ain't acquainted with our coast, you just follow in my wake and I'll pilot you in. The captain of the rover thanked Skipper Jordan for his politeness and kept his vessel in the wake of the Betsy till they entered the beautiful harbor of Falmouth. The town of Falmouth formed one side of the harbor and Cape Elizabeth the other. And as Captain Jordan belonged to the latter place, after making a graceful curve through the channel, he brought his vessel to anchor near the Cape Elizabeth shore. The rover came up and anchored but a few rods distant. It was now near night. The strong east wind that was driving into the harbor began to be accompanied by a thick beating rain, and as soon as his sails were snugly furled and the little Betsy prepared to ride out the storm, Captain Jordan and his boys hastened on shore to join the family circle from whom they had been absent on a four-weeks cruise. The storm continued through the next day with heavy wind and copious rain. Numerous vessels had come into the harbor during the night to escape from the perils of an easterly storm on the rough and dangerous coast of Maine. 
and in the morning their naked masts were seen rocking to and fro like leafless trees in the autumn winds the inhabitants of the falmouth and cape elizabeth were but little abroad on that day but many a spy-glass were pointed from the window on both sides of the harbor to scan the different vessels that were there at anchor none attracted more attention or elicited more remark than the little rover she seemed to be a strange bird among the flock all said she was not a coaster and it was obvious she was not a fisherman she had a strange kind of foreign look about her that induced the inhabitants pretty unanimously to decide that she didn't belong anywhere about in these parts the storm passed over the next day was clear and pleasant and a gentle wind was blowing from the northwest the transient vessels in the harbor one after another shook out their sails to the breeze glided smoothly along the channel and put to sea before nine o'clock all were gone except the strange little schooner and the vessels that belonged to the port or such as were their waiting cargo but day after day passed away and the little rover still remained at anchor it could not be discovered that she had any special object in her visit to falmouth she had brought no cargo to the town and did not seem to be looking for one her whole crew consisted of but three men who were on shore every day at falmouth or cape elizabeth and entering into various little barter trades with the inhabitants public curiosity began to be considerably excited in regard to the strange vessel and whenever the crew were on shore their movements were observed with increasing attention day after day and even week after week had now elapsed since the rover came into port and there she still remained at anchor and her crew were spending most of their time in idleness and no one could discover that they had any definite object ahead mysterious whispers and vague rumors began to be afloat among the community of a character so grave and awful as to excite the attention of the public authorities the time of which we are now speaking was the month of july in the year seventeen eighty nine the supreme judicial court of massachusetts was then holding a session at falmouth in the district of maine and the session was near its close when these mysterious rumors respecting the schooner rover reached the ears of the court the judges deemed it their duty before the court should adjourn to inquire into the matter they accordingly sent for robert jordan and william dyer two young men of cape elizabeth from whom many of the reports in circulation were said to have emanated robert and william being brought before the court were questioned as to what they knew concerning the schooner rover and her crew robert said he didn't know nothing about him only he knew when they was piloting of her in with the little betsy he heard the captain tell father they come from the coast of africa but what they came clear from africa here for without any cargo and were staying here so long without trying to get anything to do was more than he could tell well have you never said inquired the judge that you didn't believe but that there had been murder committed on board of that vessel and if so please to state to the court what were the circumstances which caused your suspicions why replied robert william and i have been aboard of her a good many times being she lies off abreast of our house and a number of times we've stayed aboard in the evening and played cards with the men they tell so many different stories about their voyage and talk so queer about it that i never could tell what to make of it they most always had some punch or wine to drink when we was playing and after we'd played till they got to be considerable well along in the evening they would sometimes get pretty merry sometimes they said they had come right from england and hadn't been out but twenty days when they arrived here and sometimes they said they'd been cruising on the coast of africa three months to get a load of niggers but couldn't catch em and then one of em says 
How many times you think old Hodges has looked over the ship nudes to try to find our latitude and longitude? And then he looked at the others and winked, and then they all laughed. And one time, it was a pretty dark evening. They had drinked up all the liquor there was in the cabin, and Captain Bird told Hanson to go into the hold and bring up a bottle of wine. Hanson kind of hesitated a little and looked as if he didn't want to go and said he didn't believe, but they had wine enough, and he didn't want to go poking down in the hold in the night. At that, Captain Bird called him a pretty baby and asked him what he was afraid of and wanted to know if he was afraid he should see Connor there. And then Captain Bird ripped out a terrible oath and swore he'd have some wine if the DL was in the hold. And he went and got a bottle and give us all another drink. When he came back again, Hanson asked him if he'd see anything of Connor there. And Captain Bird swore he'd throw the bottle of wine at his head if he didn't shut up. Another time I was aboard in the daytime and I see a parcel of red spots on the cabin floor and up along the gangway that looked as if there'd been blood there. And I asked them what that was. And they said it wasn't nothing, only where they'd butchered a well. And then they all laughed again and looked at each other and winked. And that's pretty much all I know about the matter. May it please your honor, said Robert, bowing to the judge. William Dyer, being examined and questioned, his testimony agreed with that of Robert Jordan in every particular, with the addition of one other fact. He said, when he was on board the rover one day, he noticed a little round hole in a board in the after part of the cabin that looked as if it might have been made by a bullet from a gun. And there was a parcel of smaller holes spattered around it that looked like shot holes. And he took his penknife and dug out a shot from one of them. And when I asked them, said William, what they'd been shooting there, Hanson said that was where Captain Bird shot a porpoise when they was on the coast of Africa. And then they looked at each other and laughed. These circumstances related so distinctly and minutely by two witnesses were judged by the court to be of sufficient importance to warrant the apprehension and examination of the crew of the rover. Accordingly, measures were immediately taken to have them brought before the court. An officer was dispatched with proper authority to arrest them, and taking with him eight assistants well armed with muskets, he put off in a yawl boat to board the schooner. The officer stood at the helm and had command of the boat, while two of the men were placed at the oars, and six stood with their guns all loaded and primed, and ready to give battle, in case resistance should be offered. When the crew of the rover beheld the boat approaching, and observed the formidable appearance of the armed men, they were perfectly panic-struck. The thought flashed across their minds with the rapidity and vividness of lightning, that by some unaccountable secret means or other, their guilt had become known and they were about to be brought to a just retribution for their crimes. They stood a moment, gazing, first at the boat, and then at each other, with a vacant and irresolute stare. The captain then sprang hastily to the capstan and ordered the men to help get the anchor on board. They flew to their hand spikes and gave two or three rapid heaves at the capstan, but a moment's thought told them there would not be time to get the anchor on board before the boat would be alongside. Captain Burr then caught an axe, and cutting the cable at a single blow, ordered the men to run up the foresail. The foresail and the jib were immediately set, and the schooner began to move before a light breeze down the harbor. Her speed, however, was slow, compared with that of the pursuing boat, for as soon as the officer perceived the schooner was making sail, he directed two more of his men to lay down their guns and put out a couple of extra oars. The four oarsmen now buckled down to their work, and the boat was leaping over the water at a rate that struck terror into the heart of Bird and his companions. "'Hiss the mainsail!' cried Bird to his men, as soon as the schooner was fairly heading on her course. "'Spring for your lives!' 
get on all sail as fast as possible. If we can get around that point so as to take the wind before they overhaul us, we'll show them that we can make longitude faster than they can. The men redoubled their exertions. Every sail was made to draw to the utmost of its power, but it was all in vain. The boat was rapidly gaining upon the schooner, and before she had reached the narrows between Cape Elizabeth and House Island, the boat was alongside, and the officer commanded Captain Byrd to heave to. The order was not obeyed, and the schooner kept on her course. The officer repeated his command, and told Bert if he didn't heave to immediately, he'd shoot him down as he stood at the helm. At the same moment, he directed two of his assistants to point their guns and take good aim. Bird, perceiving the muskets leveled at his head, darted from the helm and leaped down the companionway, landing at a single bound on the cabin floor. His companions followed with equal precipitation and left the rover to steer her own course and fight her own battles. The vessel, no longer checked by the helm, soon rounded to and the officer and his men jumped on board. On looking down into the cabin, they perceived the three men were armed, Bird with a musket and the others with a cutlass and handspike and bidding defiance to their assailants. The officer quietly closed the companionway, and having some men with him who understood working a vessel, they soon beat up the harbor again, and made fast to one of the wharves on the Falmouth side. The wharf was lined with people, who had been eagerly watching the result of the chase, and who now jumped on board in crowds and thronged the vessel. The companionway was again opened, and Bird and his men were ordered up. Perceiving there were altogether too many guns for them on board, they came quietly up and surrendered themselves to the officer. On being taken to the courthouse, they were placed in separate rooms and examined severally. The first, who claimed to be commander of the vessel, said he was an Englishman by birth and that his name was Thomas Bird. The second said he was a Swede and his name was Hans Hansen. The third, whose name was Jackson, said he was an American and belonged to Newtown in the state of Massachusetts. They seemed to possess little confidence in each other, and each feeling apprehensive that the others would betray him, and supposing the one who made the earliest and fullest confession would be likely to receive the lightest punishment, they all confessed, without hesitation, that the captain of the rover had been killed on voyage. But all endeavored to urge strong palliating circumstances to do away with criminality of the deed. They severally agreed that the vessel was owned by the Hodges in England that their captain's name was Connor, and that they had been trading some time on the coast of Africa, that Captain Connor was rough and arbitrary and abused his men beyond endurance, and that in a moment of excitement they had sought revenge by taking his life. They all agreed, too, as to the manner in which the deed was done and the time and place. It was in the night time. They were in the cabin. Captain Connor had been very abusive and overbearing, and Bird, who was more highly provoked than he could bear, hastily caught up a gun which stood in the cabin loaded with ball and shot connor dead on the spot they were then exceedingly frightened at what had been done and tried to dress his wounds and bring him to but there were no signs of returning life and they took him on deck and threw him into the sea they were then afraid to return to england with the vessel and after many long consultations they concluded to come to the united states dispose of such articles as they had on board sell the vessel the first opportunity they should meet with and separate and go to their respective countries upon this examination and confession the court committed them to jail in falmouth to await their trial for the piratical murder of connor on the high seas at this period the supreme judicial court of the several states with the maritime or admiralty judge were 
by an ordinance of the old congress authorized to try piracy and felony committed on the high seas but before the next session of the supreme judicial court of falmouth or cumberland county the new congress under the federal constitution had passed a judiciary act establishing the united states courts by this act piracies and felonies on the high seas were committed to the jurisdiction of the circuit court of the united states although the officers of this court were inducted into office in december seventeen eighty nine the court held no session at falmouth for trials till june seventeen ninety at this term of the court the case of bird and his companions was taken up jackson was permitted to become state's evidence and was used as a witness the grand jury of whom deacon titcombe was foreman found a bill against bird as a principal for the murder of connor on the high seas and against hansen for being present and aiding and abetting him therein the prisoners were arraigned at the bar of the court and pleading not guilty the court assigned them counsel and prepared for the trial which commenced on friday morning so strong was the public excitement on the occasion and so great was the crowd assembled at the trial that the court adjourned for the meeting-house of the first parish the desk of which at that time was occupied by the rev thomas smith the first minister settled in falmouth deacon chase of pepperell now sacco was foreman of the jury the cause was heard and argued on both sides in due form the jury retired and in the evening of the same day came in with their verdict bird was placed at the bar and the names of the jury were called over the clerk then put the question what say you mr foreman is bird the prisoner of the bar guilty or not guilty guilty replied the foreman in a low and solemn tone bird dropped his head and sallied back upon the seat although he had no reason to anticipate a different verdict yet he did not seem to realize its awful import until the sound fell upon his startled ear his brain reeled for a moment and darkness was gathering before his eyes but tears came to his relief he hid his face in his handkerchief and wept like a child when the same question was put to the jury in reference to hansen the reply was not guilty on saturday morning the court met again and the prisoner was brought in to receive his sentence mr sims one of the prisoners counsel made a motion in arrest of judgment because the latitude and longitude of the sea where the crime was committed was not named in the indictment the court overruled his motion and proceeded to pronounce sentence of death as this was the first capital conviction in a court of this republic after the federal constitution was adopted the council of bird concluded on that account to petition the president of the united states for his pardon and thus make another and last effort to save his life accordingly a copy of the indictment and all the proceedings in the case was forwarded to general washington then residing in new york but the president with that sound wisdom and clear-sightedness for which he was so remarkable declined interfering with the sentence of the court either by pardon or reprieve and that sentence was executed upon bird by marshal dearborn and his assistants on the last friday of the same month of june seventeen ninety end of section two